0: Well, good morning to your church. Uh, I know that I'm a little bit standing up here privileged, not having a mask on, um, but I have to say this, that uh, it actually makes me feel very welcome. As I came on staff here, I came in October, and I came during a time when, uh, when I met many of you, all I saw was from here up. And so today, I feel like I recognize so many of you, and you're making me feel like I'm family, so thank you very much. So Dr. Bonnie knew what she was doing on the day that I was going to preach, and you would arrive here with a mask on. So that's one positive thing about wearing a mask today. Uh, I feel like I'm part of the family here. Well, this morning, I'm, I'm going to be talking about suffering, and uh, it's, I think it's an appropriate topic because of where we are. Uh, There's definitely been a part of what we've experienced here in the pandemic that has uh, been about suffering. And we have had more anxiety in our culture than we ever have. Um, Amongst our youth, anxiety is to a greater degree uh, than we've ever seen it. We can we can know that social media plays a, a role in that, but also the pandemic plays a role in that. And uh, in our life, uh, we can feel that, that anxiety. We can feel loneliness. We can feel all kinds of things that we've experienced through this pandemic. So I think talking about suffering uh, today is not a bad topic. But today, uh, with it, it is also a topic that in our culture we've done and we've worked really hard not to engage with suffering. We have done everything to, to sidestep it. And why wouldn't you? Who wants to go headlong into suffering? Anybody here want to suffer today? I don't think so. Um, and as parents, we do everything to keep our kids safe. We teach them to stay safe. We teach them to stay out of danger and uh, pain and from death. Moms, if you have a child uh, that, is, that is not 23 yet, so if, so if you have a son who is not 23 yet, I just want to tell you that you have to parent that, that son until he reaches at least age 23. They say that the neurons in their brains don't come to fruition where they can make really good decisions until they're 23. So if you're, if you're a young person here, if you're, if you're that college age and you're between 18 and 23 and you think your mother is parenting you, she is, and that is good. And let her, because she's keeping you alive, okay? We do everything we can to stay away from pain, and I think we are not wrong in it, but, and here's the but, the but is that no matter how much we attempt to avoid suffering, we will never escape it in our lifetime. Matter of fact, some of you are sitting here today and you understand suffering full well. You're going through an experience, whether it is physically, whether it's emotionally, whether it's spiritually, you're going through something right now today in which you can go, you know what, I understand suffering. So we can't escape it. So I think we do need to understand it. Pastor Ken has, has done a great job of teaching us and, and leading us in 1 Peter into this point. And this point is this, that throughout the book of 1 Peter, the one point that we need to remember is that Jesus is Lord. And Jesus is Lord in our suffering. He is Lord in our suffering. And when we can grab hold of that, I think that it gives us hope. So there are two aspects to the suffering that I want to bring us to this morning. And the first aspect is this, that suffering, I want us to understand suffering in hardship, trial, and pain. That's the first area. And the second uh, aspect of suffering that I want us to examine is suffering of Christ at the hands of others. So, You will notice that I haven't thrown up a slide yet, nor will I throw up a slide. I'm actually not even going to put up scripture today. I'm going to invite you to open up your Bible so you can do that either by the physical Bible or we live in a country where you can have a digital Bible. And so I would encourage you to engage with God's word through either one of those two means. And we're going to look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and starting in verse 6. God's Word is alive and living, and and I love it when people will actually look at God's Word in somebody's preaching, because you may read beyond what I read, and you may not hear anything I have to say, but you will hear God speak to you. I'm actually not the most important person here today. Uh, God the Holy Spirit is, and we just know that He is working, so I want you to engage with what the Holy Spirit is doing this morning. So, Follow along with me as I read 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through though it is tested by fire, may be found as a result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You know, one of the things I notice in here in the midst of trials, talking about trials, we have this part of rejoicing. So we have this rejoice or rejoicing with joy. How in the world do you find yourself rejoicing in joy and trials? They seem to be an oxymoron right there. And that is God in his glory. He likes to flip things upside down on us. But here's what I see. How can we have glory or how can we have joy? We have joy in the fact of what we have to come. If you read verses prior to that, you'll see in those verses, it talks about this, this, this treasure that we have, this inheritance that we have. And in it, it says that it will never perish, it will not rot, and it will not become, it will not disappear. That is an inheritance that you and I have that is waiting for us, and that is enough to, re- to rejoice. Because all around us, what we have, what we see, and this pandemic has, has made it very clear that this is not going to last. This has potential of falling apart. But we have a God who says, I have a kingdom, a heavenly kingdom, an earthly kingdom. My kingdom has come to this earth and it is a kingdom that will come to fruition and in that, that treasure that I have that has, is for you will not perish, will not rot, nor will it disappear. But we also see that there is this Christ in us, the hope of his glory in us. And that in in itself is enough for us to rejoice. We have God in us, amen? And that is a beautiful thing. That is a wonderful thing. And for that, we can rejoice. I hope you can. Even in the midst of trials, we can rejoice because there is something greater than ourselves. Trials in this world... I think come in three areas. First is is that you and I inflict trials upon us by our own decisions. We do that by sometimes when we choose to engage with sin, and when we engage in sin, we can face trials. The choices we make. I've made a choice uh, to work with power tools. And if you see my hand, I've got this finger here and I have this thumb there. And they have suffered by the choices of not using my power tools properly. (laughs) I have suffered. But I've also suffered because of some sinful choices I have made. Secondly, we go through trials because of other people's choices. When people make a choice to lie, cheat, and steal against us, They make a choice to defame us. They make a choice to harm us physically. We go through trials. I don't choose it. I don't want it. I don't invite it, but it happens. Third is is that we go through trials because we're just in a fallen world. It's sinful. I have a friend, Jesse, and uh, I first met him when he and his wife were going through His wife is going through chemo treatment for cancer. And I walked through that with that family through the last stages of her chemo treatment to the death of her life on this earth. He didn't choose that, he didn't want it. But these bodies will fail us. And so we go through these periods of trials because of choices we make, choices other people make, and just because we live in a sinful world. And if you look in there, it says to us that that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have grieved, you have been grieved by various trials. You know that word grieved is an interesting word because it's the same word that you and I would use for the, to express the loss of a person's uh, a person so by death and we grieve that person's loss and I don't know if you ever thought about that of a trial in your life that you, you go through a grieving but you do because you've lost something sometimes you've lost uh, some, some position of not surrendering over to God and, and you grieve that I've, I've held on to something I'm not going to give it up to God but through the trial you do and you grieve that loss Sometimes you grieve a loss because you once were pain-free, but now you are not, and you grieve that. So trials do bring about a grieving, and I I think there's a reality to that that we must acknowledge, and it helps us to understand what we're going through. This morning, uh, you didn't see a community story because our community story is going to be live and I've asked uh, Norm duick if he would come and share his story. He and Pauline are going to come up. And Pauline's coming up because Norm can't uh, talk a long time. And so in case his voice starts to give out, Pauline will finish off what he has to say. And so I've asked, I've asked Norm uh, three questions that he's going to share with us. But let me say this. I think there's a reality check to... Uh, to to trials, to pain, and to heartache. And the reality check is this. Is that pain trials and suffering suck. They do. And there is something that I don't look for, I don't seek, but they happen. And if anything, throughout my years in church that have bothered me is that In church, sometimes we have to put on a good face, a good front, and we shouldn't. This should be the safest place for us to experience, express, and walk through our trials and our struggles. But instead, many times, I think the church can kind of put on the fact that we need to buck up. We need to be stoic. We need to just kind of get a hold of ourselves, but that's not the truth. I have a friend He lost his son to a suicide death. And after a year, he had another Christian man walk up to him and he said to him, come on, Harry, get over it. It's time to move on. We don't move on at all. We just learn how to live life without that person. And that's a tragedy that the the church would have that mindset. So I've asked Norm if he would share with us. Um, I've seen Norm around. I kind of heard through the grapevine a little bit of his story. Uh, If you're new here, you might not know his story. But I thought that it would be great if Norm would share his story with us. And so I've asked him three questions. My first question is this. Norm. What were the circumstances that brought you to being in a wheelchair, and with that, what kind of physical changes have gone on for you?
1: Do I get to take my mask? Yes, you can. <laughs> Thank you. I'll, uh, I'll keep this somewhat brief because I could go on for a long time, but if any of you have questions later or want to chat, I'm open to doing that. Um, About 19 years ago, my wife and I were riding our horses out in a field west of Calgary. Uh, It was a beautiful day and as I was riding, I saw a cardboard box lying ahead of me, a flattened cardboard box in the field and I thought nothing about it because my horse was really stoic. And just as we got up to the box, my horse jumped sideways really hard and caught me off guard and just like that I knew I was coming off the side and as I'm coming off I was thinking this is going to be embarrassing because my wife will question my riding abilities and uh, I reach out my hands to break my fall and my hands never hit the ground my head hit first and I heard a crack and instantly I was a quadriplegic I spent six and a half months in the hospital, um, going through rehab, and uh, I was in a very feral state. When I got home, things really hit home because I was home alone, my wife was at work, and that's when the questions really sank in and my loss, like Scott was talking about, grieving starts. And depression set in. I gradually got some function back, but with that came a lot of nerve pain and excruciating muscle cramps. Over the 19 years, there's been many times where I've begged God to take my life. In my darkest days, thoughts of suicide seemed like the better option than what I was dealing with, and I still struggle with significant pain every day.
0: Thank you, Norm. I appreciate that honesty in which you share with. So, another question I have for you—actually, several questions uh, into this—that I'd like you to kind of share with us. And and that is: How did this dramatically change your your uh, change? How did this dramatic change in your life change your faith in God? And did you did you go through a time of grieving? Did you question God? Um, How did this change your relationship with God?
1: I had grown up in a Christian home and was always involved in the church in leading in various ways, just generally being a doer for God. So my biggest question wasn't, is there a God, it was just, why me, God? Why did he allow this to happen? And more importantly, what could I do for him now? Uh, one day I was reading the Daily Bread devotional. And there was a saying at the bottom that said, you have been doing things for God, now it's time you get to know me. And that just really hit me because I had been a doer, but did I really know God? Um, I had a friend who had been bugging me to join his Bible study for years, and it was at 6 a.m. in the mornings. And I just always said, no, I'm not a morning person. I was not going to Bible study at 6 a.m. One day he came over to my house and he said, I'm starting a new Bible study. It's 3.30 on Friday afternoons and it's at your house. (laughs) So, I had no excuses anymore. But let me tell you, those men showed me how to study the Bible and how to live it out. And so, uh, God showed me that he can use me again. I I got to know him. I memorized verses. I am now leading the men's Bible study that meets here on Mondays and uh, serve in my host church. So I got to know him, and now he's just using me differently.
0: So my last question for you, uh, Norm, is... Is this? Is how has this suffering transformed your relationship with Jesus?
1: Um, what amazed me most when I started digging into the Bible was how much talk there is about suffering. Not that those words weren't there before. I was always aware of them. I just wasn't aware of them. Um, uh, but the Bible has the answer to the big question. Why is there suffering in the world? The bottom line is that suffering can be justified with God's love and need for justice. The suffering and death of Jesus on the cross looked like a huge loss for all of us and for, for Jesus when it was happening. But when he rose from the dead, it turned out to be the best thing that ever happened in this world. The forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. So good things came from suffering of Jesus. And my suffering has led to far more spiritual growth than the good times did. God uses pain to change us and to accomplish his will, even though we may not understand it, and even if we don't like it. Romans 5.3 says, "'But we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Like many of you, you all have your thorn in the flesh, but God told us, "My power is made perfect in weakness." Hebrews 5 says, Jesus, sorry, Hebrews 5 says, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered. If Jesus learned through suffering, so can we. So to all of you who are going through some kind of suffering, I encourage you to give it to Jesus. He may not take it away. You may always question why, but just rest in the knowledge that God is doing greater things with it than you can imagine. I'll finish with this. As believers in Jesus... We also have hope for the future. The verse that speaks to me most about this is what Paul wrote in Romans 18. It says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I look forward to that glory that God has in store for me. Someday, I'll see the big picture.
0: Thank you. All right, I'll try not to drop the mic because I feel like it's kind of what you have to do after that. It's like, okay, we can just go home now. Um, I think he's he's kind of set it all. You know, what I appreciated about what Norm had to say is that he, he was real. He didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't make us feel like in some way, in our suffering, we shouldn't have moments of disappointment, of struggles, of depression, that we're going to go through that. I want to go back over, Norm wrote, wrote out and gave to me, and I want to read again what he wrote, because I thought it was really good, just to finish off this point. He said this, and listen, he says, In fact, God showed that the worst thing that happened in this world led to the best thing that ever happened to this world. Isn't that good? The suffering and death of Jesus on the cross looked like a huge loss for followers of Jesus as it was happening But it resulted in the greatest good ever, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And this is what he said. My suffering has led to far more spiritual growth than the good times. And I believe it will be true for you as well if you give your suffering to God. Wow. I really have to respect that coming from Norm and what he goes through. Timothy Keller has written a book on suffering, and he says this, he says, Christianity does not provide the reason for each experience of pain, but it does provide deep resources for actually facing suffering with hope and courage, rather than bitterness and despair. Peter's point is, is that, as trials heat up in our life, it, it allows God to work and refine us, to, to work away on those areas of our life that will cause us to be more like Jesus. And in so doing, we find his glory and his joy, and so do others. But I want to take a moment, the rest of my time, and just talk about the sufferings of Christ at the hands of others. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 2. If you want to turn there in verse 19, 1 Peter chapter 2. And Andrew did, he did a, a brilliant job last week of talking about our role in, in the area of, of as somebody working for someone else. But Peter talks in here about the suffering that you and I may face because of the good things we do. If we're doing something wrong and we suffer, well, that's understandable. But if we're doing something right and we're suffering, how do we respond to that? And Jesus' way is that we walk in it so that we are allowing God's glory to be recognized in our life that others may see. Jesus has a way in which he walked through his own sorrow, his own suffering here on earth. And this is what we see, that instead of self-comfort, he surrendered. Instead of self-comfort, he surrendered. Instead of self-promotion, he had servanthood. And instead of self-serving ambitions, he had sacrifice. Christ's example was that he walked in Jesus, excuse me, Christ's example is that he walked the path that act justly, love mercy, and and he walked humbly. So he act justly, taught to love mercy and to walk humbly. Really, his attitude was one of trust. During his times of insult, during his time of beating, during the time of being wrongly accused, he trusted God. He trusted that God knew what he was doing. So here's my question. Why or how did, how could Jesus trust God? And the Sunday school answer is because he was God. But he was fully man, 100%. And in that, how was he able to have that, come into that place where he could trust God? Because he was certain that God was with him and for him. Again, Timothy Keller says this suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. So let me come back to these three aspects of, of Jesus. It is the part that he surrendered, he's a servant, and he sacrificed. Look at Philippians chapter 2. Verses 5 and 8. Philippians 2, 5 and 8. It's a beautiful poem of, 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 the, of the sufferings of Christ. And it says this, starting in verse 5. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, through, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped. surrender. But he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, servanthood. And being found in the human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross, sacrifice. As we walk in suffering at the hands of someone else, it truly is something in which we need to find ourselves surrendering, serving, and sacrificing. For in that, it is in the hope that the glory of God will be seen. It's not easy, but it's a path that we can walk. And let me finish up with this, suffering at the hands of a persecutor. In this time that Paul writes, and we look in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 9, and in here, as Peter writes this, He's writing to a church that has been dispersed through A's or minor because of persecution. And, and they're feeling persecution through different pockets in there. And this is persecution where their life is on the line. Where if they're not, if their life isn't, if they don't denounce the name of Jesus, then they will be killed. That is exactly what was happening back then. Persecution for us today, well, here in Canada... I don't think we're really experiencing a lot of persecution. If I define persecution as something which will cause me to be imprisoned, tortured, and death, I don't really see it here. I see a lot of inconveniences, but I do not see that happening at this point in time. When I think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today, this very moment, they're having people, Taliban, going door to door, knocking on doors, looking for any evidence of someone who believes in Jesus Christ, either a household or an individual, and their life is in danger. They're either going to be imprisoned, tortured, or death if they do not denounce Jesus Christ. That is persecution. May, will we face it here? We might face it here one day. We might indeed. To that degree, I don't know. but i know that we need to be ready you know in verse 19 it talks about god's will and suffering god's will and suffering and i'll finish up with this i never think about the fact that would it be god's will that i suffer but for his sake for the gospel maybe some years ago i was in hong kong with a group of chinese leaders and one of the leaders stood up We'll call him Little Mike. That's not his real name. But Little Mike stood up. And Little Mike talked about the group that he was leading. It was some 80,000 Christians. 80,000. That was a small group of people. There was another leader in there was was leading over a million different Christians in China. But Little Mike got up and he talked about the upcoming persecution that they were going to experience. And he said this. He says, we know that persecution is coming again. Like we saw in the past, that was like in the 1970s. We believe we are ready for it. We believe the youth need to experience it. And we believe this will cause the church to scatter. And it is our prayer, it'll cause a great revival to break out. My, I just, my, my jaw just dropped on the floor. Like, what are you saying? I mean, in our culture, we say, okay, listen, let's let's. Go against the government and let's protest and let's tell the government they can't do this. And they are saying, no, bring it on. Our young people need it. Like, are these people crazy? And they think a great revival is going to break out. Do you know that statistics say that, that there are like 30,000 people coming to know Jesus daily in China? Can you imagine if that happened here in Canada? We would say a revival broke out. They actually told me, don't pray. Do not pray that, that persecution will stop. Don't pray that. My mind struggles to, to, to understand that. It really does. Boy, do I pray. Do I pray that we would see God's glory in all its fullness. And that we as believers are ready for whatever comes. But it does come back to that one point. Now that's the band to come up at this time. Because it comes to this one point. Right back to the very beginning of what Pastor Kin has been teaching us in First Peter. And that is it comes to the place of making sure that Jesus is Lord in our life. We are all going to face trials in our life. In those trials, when, as Norm has said, when we can surrender them over to God, good things happen. We may not be fixed in our trials, but good things happen with the Lord. And may we find ourselves like Christ being in that place of surrender, of servanthood, and sacrifice. So as we close our time this morning, as, a, as we have this last song, this is where I want to invite you. I want to invite you to consider as before the Lord, Lord, what is it in my life that I'm experiencing? A trial, a tribulation, a trouble, in which I need to surrender to you and walk with you. Maybe it's coming to the communion table as we serve communion this morning and it's just saying, I, wanna, I just want to acknowledge the sufferings of Christ, the work of the cross, and his work in my life. So I invite you to consider before the Lord this morning as we sing this last song. And then Phil will close our time this morning at the end.